0: Good morning. How are you all doing? Or I should ask you this morning, if you were here last week, you'll know what it means. If not, you're going to feel left out and terrible that you weren't here, so I'll ask it. Just kidding. How's your soil this morning? Fertile soil, I heard. That's good. Good soil this morning. I'm talking about the parable of the sower, for those of you who missed, where the focus is on our hearts, even on the hearts of the righteous even on the hearts of the church going who come knowing God already, that there's work to be done in even our knowing God hearts and making sure our field continues to be soft and plowed and fertile to receive God's Word. So, are you ready to hear the Word of God this morning? Good, because I am too. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, where you will find not one, not two, but three parables about lost things. We've looked at the first two parables already in weeks gone by, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and this morning we'll look at the third lost parable packed into this chapter 15 in Luke. The NIV calls it the parable of the lost son, but as we'll see this morning, I think a better title might be the father of two lost sons, as there are indeed three key characters that this parable pushes forward for us to learn from, for us to read the shadow of what's behind them in the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm, that the parable casts this shadow in a very real life story to tell us something about God in the spiritual realm. And it does it through three key family figures, a father, an older son and a younger son, and a family crisis that happens with them. As we prepare to dive into this parable or in preparation for diving into it, I have a question for us to consider. A couple of questions, actually. The first one is this. Do you need anything this morning? Do you need anything? If I asked you this morning, do you need anything, what would you say? Well, let me try Do you need anything this morning? Yes. Okay, it's really a yes or no question. I think most of us would answer yes, that we need something this morning. And then here's the follow up question What do you need? I hear a Savior. Great answer. Peace. Healing. (laughs) More coffee. Okay, well, you were giving deep answers. We're in church. give deep answers in church, right? You, You gave good answers. Well, let me tell you, this parable answers that question this morning. Jesus answers very clearly in this parable what it is that people, no matter who you are, what it is that you and I need. And as we'll see, part of answering or even getting to that question, what it is we need, is first... Recognizing that we need anything or that we need something other than what we think we need. But once we get to where we see our need, Jesus also tells us what it is that we need, and He does it in the form of yet another brilliant parable. As always, the immediate context of this parable is helpful, and the first two verses of Luke 15 give us the setting. Where Luke tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Great word, muttered, isn't it? Not foddered, but muttered. (laughs) This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them, they were muttering. So our setting is, well, it's Jewish. Tax collectors were Jewish agents of Rome. Many of them teens who collected taxes from other Jews to give to Rome. Rome was smart. That's why they were such a great kingdom for such a long time. One of these eyes of details. They would have locals go out and even local kids go around And collect taxes for them. Because who's going to harm a local kid just trying to do their job? Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus, was just such a tax collector. So some tax collectors were there. And sinners too, the Bible says. The NIV even puts it in quotes. That term, sinners, a bit narrower in this context than we might guess. It probably doesn't mean or include Gentiles, although a few were probably there too. But in this context, sinners was a common expression for secular Jews, we might say, or secular people, uh, less religious people, less practicing their religious, uh, uh, religion people, whatever you want to say that. Jews who were either pro-Rome or pro-Herod, also called Herodian Jews because they supported Herod. But they didn't, these Herodians, in the eyes of the religious or orthodox Jews at least, take God's word very seriously or seriously enough. And so religious Jews would commonly refer to those Herodian Jews as sinners. And so Jewish tax collectors, Jewish Herodians, and lastly Jewish Pharisees and teachers of the law who hated Herod, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law are muttering over Jesus spending his time hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners, these other Jews. So there's a little tension in the crowd that day, right? Tax collectors and sinners sitting there And then some Pharisees there, too, muttering about the tax collectors and sinners. Ooh, there's a little tension in the crowd. And all of them, despite their dislike for each other, brought there by the one common bond, one common desire. They wanted to hear what this incredible teacher Jesus had to say. And it's really that last group, though, the muttering Pharisees, that that spurs Jesus to turn and to tell these three parables in Luke 15 about lost things. And ironically enough, those lost things in context, well, they're sitting right there. They're the tax collectors and sinners sitting there too, listening, that had some of the Pharisees muttering. But it's in response to these muttering Pharisees, specifically, that Jesus tells these three lost parables, so to speak, including our parable this morning, something I'm calling the father of two lost sons. Let's begin reading. I'm at Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate and boom, Jesus jumps right into this one by lobbing this big, shocking statement at the front end of this parable. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to feel the shock of it, right? Fathers here today especially, or even sons or daughters of fathers, imagine going into your father, or if you're a father, imagine, imagine your son or daughter comes up to you later today and says, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. How's that conversation going to go? And if we think today that that would be inappropriate or rude, the question in a first century Jewish family, which just had this uh, a higher sense of honor than maybe most of us have ever known and can imagine, it would have been unthinkable, for a Jewish kid to say that to his Jewish father. To first century Jewish ears, historians tell us, the younger son's request to his dad for his inheritance was like a death wish even for his dad. Oi, the boy wants the money more than he desires the life of his father. One commentator tries to put in today's language how Jesus' original audience would have heard the younger son's statement. They heard something like this. Hey, Dad, drop dead. I want your money. (laughs) Seriously. Ouch. Now, it's true. According to Jewish law, a father could indeed execute a will even before he died. In fact, that's about... It's precisely what's about to take place in the parable. But nevertheless, for a son, a son, to take the initiative and demand his inheritance before his, father's di- before his father died would have been a dramatic shock to a first century Jew listening that day. And it's how Jesus begins. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Hey, Dad, drop dead. I want your money. And the Jewish audience there that day said, so, Oy, who has such a son? So what happens next? Well, it gets worse. Something equally shocking happens. Verse 12. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Ah, the audience goes, you got to be kidding me. Shh shocking and what's the shock there to a first century Jew what's the shock boy i can't hear you it sounds like you're muttering with the pharisees <laughs> usually the older son gets everything is one suggestion that, that that's not quite true an older son would get a double share well We might think the shock, at least, is that the father did what the boy asked, right? And while eyebrows probably went up when they heard the father just do what the boy asked, I I don't know that they would have been shocked by it. True, the father certainly had justification to turn the son away, even kick him out of the house. Maybe, maybe really upset him, he could seek his son's death with the religious authorities as a rebellious son, according to Torah. But the father didn't. The father didn't go that way. And while they, while they may have appreciated that the father was acting in a kind and gracious way, I'm not sure it would have shocked them. For one, fathers love their sons. And, and so a father deciding in love to go ahead and give his son some free rein to, to, to stretch that leash a bit or even take it off and, and allow his son the, the ability to freely choose and go ahead and give his son what would one day be his anyway. I don't know if it would have been a shocking surprise to Jesus' audience that day, at least not as shocking as the younger boys saying, drop dead, dad, I want your money. And second, Parables often depicted God as a father figure. In fact, the entire Bible does, doesn't it? And Pharisaic teaching, the Pharisees' teaching, also depicted God as forgiving and compassionate. Did you know? And so for the father, whom the audience was already suspecting might stand for God, that's how these parables go, If the Father represented God, everyone there, especially the Pharisees, would have been leaning toward at least an expectation that, well, yeah, if if God's the Father, if the Father represents God, God is going to act in a forgiving and compassionate way. Wow, isn't he forgiving and compassionate? But it wouldn't have been a shock, in my opinion. But there is a second shocking surprise in verse 12, and it's one we often miss, I think, when we read the story. And I may have heard it from some of you too. The key is Jesus says the father divided his property between them. What's the shock? Who's the them in verse 12? Both boys. So how many sons get their inheritance that day? Two, the text doesn't simply say, and so the father gave the younger son his share. It certainly could have. It says the father divided his property between them. They both get their shares that day. And here's the second shocking surprise to start off this parable. Shocking surprise number one. The younger son says, hey, Dad, drop Dad, I want your money. And shocking surprise number two, the older boy receives his share and doesn't say one word. He goes along with the drop-dead plan. He doesn't object. And that's a shock to Jesus' audience. Why? Because according to Jewish tradition, strong in early tradition, guess what is one of the primary responsibilities and duties of an older son? An older son, the role he plays is the position of a mediator in a family crisis. One commentator explains it this way. When the younger son asked for the inheritance, the responsibility and obligation of the elder son was clear to the first century listener. The father should have been told to leave the matter in the hands of the elder son because the younger boy did not really mean what he said or or realize how much such a request would hurt his father. The elder son should have demanded that the younger brother apologize to their father. As mediator, the elder brother could have sought reconciliation between his brother and father. Instead, He silently waited for his share of the property and assets. By not doing anything, he was just as wrong as his younger brother. It's no different than Adam in the Garden of Eve, is it? Adam says nothing, but he's every bit as guilty as Eve precisely because he did nothing except go ahead and eat the forbidden fruit along with her. Here the older son says nothing, but he's every bit as guilty as the younger son because he did nothing. In effect, went along with his younger brother's shocking demand, Hey, Dad, drop dead. I want your money. He's an accomplice, right, in the Dad, drop dead plan. And see, we often feel that the older brother's relationship with the father, well, it's just fine and dandy until the end of the parable when he throws a fit. But his problem is evident from the opening of the story, very clearly to first century Jewish ears. Both the younger and the older son are deeply in the wrong, right from the first line of the parable. The younger for wanting his father dead and telling him so, and the older for refusing to intervene, to mediate, instead silently accepting his share as well. Jesus' original audience may have well thought, Oy, this poor father, who has two such sons? both treating their father in this despicable way. Let's continue in Luke 15, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. There's that need question or hint that I first asked you. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. And what we have here, my friends, is repentance. Not just a willingness to change, but a real change of heart and direction and desire. The first line of verse 17 Interestingly enough, if you trace it back through the Greek and through a Semitic Hebrew expression behind it, it's a Hebrew expression for repentance in English, when he came to his senses. I love that picture of repentance, coming to our senses. Coming to our senses and realizing as the younger son did, Father, I've sinned. Coming to our senses and realizing the best path for us to follow, the only path for us to follow if we truly want life is the path leading to God. The younger son came to his senses, realized he needed his father after all. And so he got up and went to his father. Ah, he realized his need. His dad. And there's the first hint of her need to question this morning that this parable helps make plain. More on that in a minute. Continuing in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And many teachers have commented on correctly the historical it never happens that a, a dignified near or Middle Eastern man would, would, would run. It's like embarrassing, shameful even. But he's so overwhelmed with compassion, he hikes up his robe and he goes running like to his son. The great almighty God of the universe. Running like that to this wild living son. Beautiful picture of God's compassion. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he even gets to finish his little practiced speech, make me like a slave, the father interrupts. So happy that he's here. Father said to his servants, quick, bring him a robe. The best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And P.S. You might say, hey, wait a minute. I thought you said the older son got his share of the estate too, but the father is still ordering the servants around. What's that all about? But that's okay. In fact, it's remarkably consistent with Jewish law that allows a father who gives an inheritance while he's still living, that father keeps certain rights called usufruct rights for all you property attorneys out there. Usufruct, rights means that even though the older son owned the rest of the estate, the father still had the right to use it and benefit from it until he died, as is the case here in this parable. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, doesn't even address him as father, Even the younger son at least used the honor title of father when demanding his inheritance. The older boy's so angry, he doesn't even say, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, can't even call him his brother, When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. We had to. Because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the parable ends without ending, right? Like one of those movies. Sitting in the theater, you're surprised. The credits start to roll and you want to shout at the screen, that's it? No. How does it end? In the case of this parable, uh, uh, no, rabbi, wait, Jesus, what does the older son do? Does he come in? Tell us. And Jesus, by not saying, says, Will you tell me? Does he? Should he? And it's brilliant. That's exactly the punch. Of this whole parable where we all too often only emphasize the younger brother. It's the challenge that Jesus wants to leave with the story. The question he's leaving with the story. Remember the muttering Pharisees are the ones who spur him to even tell it. Exactly the challenge he's making in this parable. And not just that they'll ask, will the older brother come in? but will you come in? Will you come in? And you say, Come in to where? The party? Well, yes, but let me explain that a bit more. A mistake, in my opinion, that many make with this parable is to emphasize. Only the differences, the differences between the two sons. And they are different. But they are not only different. In fact, the brilliance of the parable, this amazing teacher, as he makes these two seemingly different tax collectors and sinners and teachers of the law very much the same. Well, how are they the same? So glad you asked. (laughs) They're the same because they both need the same thing. Only one boy realizes it, the other doesn't yet. They both need their father, but they don't need him in the way they think they need him. Both treat him as a banker or an employer. Neither boy wants their father any closer than arm's length relationship. They want his money. They don't see their need to have him closer than that. Neither see a need for intimate relationship. And so the younger son pushes his dad away by demanding his share and taking off and using it for wild living. But the older son pushes his dad away too by silently accepting his share, treating his dad as a banker, but also treating his dad as an employer by trying to earn his dad's favor as if that's what his dad wants. See, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. See what you think about this. It's easier in a way, isn't it? To try and earn favor than it is to accept it for nothing. Nothing. You say, why? I'd rather get something for free. Well, when we earn something, do our work for our employer, for example, it builds in us, we deserve to be paid. It puts us in a position of control and strength. I do something for you, then you owe me. Keeps us In a business type relationship, doesn't require me to get to know you better or to spend time with you. Doesn't require me to be intimate in my relationship with you. Keeps us arm's length. And you know, intimacy, that can be scary. Makes me vulnerable. Makes me. Weak puts you in control, requires humility. Social researchers, in fact, have shown that among the hardest things to say in the English language are these three words, I need help. So we're gonna practice. See what it feels like. Just even say the word. Say them after me, please. I need help. Oh, don't you feel better? It's hard for us to admit that sometimes. And can you and do we admit it to God? I need help. And both boys don't want to go there with dad. Even though the parable makes clear that's what the Father, that's what God wants most. And it's what both boys need most. More than our obedience, God wants us. Close, intimate, But the younger son pushes dad away, and the older son pushes dad away. The younger runs away from dad, but make no mistake, the older son runs away too. He hides in a way behind his good deeds. There are two prodigal sons in the parable of the prodigal son. Not one. But then... The younger son realizes he needs his father as more than a banker or employer. Oh man, this is ridiculous. Look at what, I need my dad. And he humbles himself enough to come home and admit it and to ask for forgiveness. And the father's so eager for that. He just said, I need help. Oh, I'm so glad you know you need help. He sees him from a far way off, runs to him. Welcome home, son. Dad, I'm so sorry I sinned against heaven. I, mean, <laughs> I know, I can tell it's all over your face. And it's exactly what the older boy needs to He's home with his dad, but he's not really home with his dad. He's in the field. He's in the outer courtyard. He's not home. The older boy, like the younger, also needs to realize he needs his dad. as more than a banker or employer. He needs to humble himself and ask for forgiveness for pushing his dad away too. The two sons are more same than different. They both need their dad as more than a provider of money. They need him to love and to be loved by him. They need to ask, ask for and accept his forgiveness, accept his hug and kiss, share his desire for intimate relationship, be willing to humble themselves. And recognize how desperately they need help. How desperately they need Him to love and to be loved by Him. And once they're in the Father's love, they need their Father's love for others. Oh my. There we are again. Again. Our need to love God and love others. Go figure. I picture Jesus turning to face the muttering Pharisees. The righteous, clearly the older son in this parable. I wonder if Jesus turned to look at them. Not in judgment. Judgment doesn't figure in this parable at all. Where is it? Not here. I see Jesus turning to those muttering older boys. Love burning in his eyes for them. And begging with them, pleading with them the same way the father begged and pleaded with the older son whom he deeply loved. You know, the father saw the younger son a far way off and ran out to him. The parallel with the older son is the father must have heard that the, younger, that the older son wasn't going to come in, and what did the father do? Went out to him. So I see Jesus there. I see his great heart reaching out to these teachers of, the, uh, teachers of God's Word whose lives were dedicated to obeying God. And they didn't always get it right. And I wonder if at that point in the story, he looked right at them and drew closer to them. My sons, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because these brothers of yours, maybe even the tax collectors and sinners there that day, But we had to celebrate because these brothers of yours, they were dead. And they're alive again. They were lost and are found. And in the incredibly loud silence of how the parable ends, the unspoken question, dripping with love, hung in the air that first century day. Won't you join me in celebrating them? Won't you humble yourselves and realize that you need help too? that you desperately need an intimate, loving relationship with our Father in Heaven too. What do you guys think? Should the older boy come in? Shouldn't the family be reunited? We can't all reunite without you too, so won't you come in and let God welcome you home and throw His arms around you and be in an intimate relationship with you? Stop trying to keep Him arm's length away by just doing your duty and feeling like you deserve something won't you come on in and welcome the others home too? And for us today, whether we identify more with the younger or the older son, whether we don't know Jesus yet as our personal Lord and Savior, whether we don't know God, whether we've known Him for a day or a week, or whether we've known him our whole lives, uh, uh, lifetime, the question and the loud silence of how the parable ends is the same, isn't it? Won't you come in? And perhaps to most of us today, to the righteous. Won't you continue to humble yourselves and be weak and give up control and trust God with being real with him? Won't you continue, brothers and sisters, to admit that you can't do it on your own and that you need Him desperately? Can you still shout after years of knowing and walking with God, I need you. Instead of this sort of backward idea of what we feel is maturing in the faith. Got my act together. Now that I've known God a while. And oh, God will be so very gentle with that sort of humble heart. Whether as a first time person that experiences God's rush toward him. Whether you've done it many times in a row, come back to God in humility. He'll be very gentle. He won't shame you for coming home and admitting you're wrong and can't do it alone. He won't shame you for being weak. In fact, just the opposite. He'll run to you even when you're a long way off. Take one step toward Him and He comes running with delight and with life. And then they want to hear about what you were doing. And gives you robes and rings and sandals and stuff. And throws his arms around you and kisses you, this almighty creator, God of the universe whether you're meeting Him for the first time or you've known Him your whole life, but really haven't entered into a, an intimate, loving relationship with Him or struggle with such open, honest intimacy with Him because it's vulnerable and it means I have to feel weak and humble myself, will you recognize your need of God and come home? In my opinion, one of the biggest struggles the church has today is it's full of muttering older brothers. And this includes me. Like the younger son, I recognize my need of God deeply once upon a time. But going forward from that day, how easy to get caught up in the blessings of what God has given and to forget how desperately we still need to humble ourselves and we still need them. Every moment of every day. And forget, we still need to be weak because when we're weak, God is strong, the Bible tells us. "Huh," And we forget to be humble with our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. And words like, I'm sorry, and I was wrong, and I need help, and I can't do it alone, come so hard sometimes, doesn't it? And we're just like Israel, who remember in Deuteronomy 8, God warns, hey, Israel, once you get the promised land, please, please, my people, don't start to think, hey, look at all I've done to be so blessed. And younger or older son, new or old and knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, do you know what you need most today and every day? Do we? We need most every single day intimate Relationship with God, where we're weak and He's strong. It's what Jesus came to accomplish. Forever, that we can do that. And yet, I'd rather earn my way. That's or huh? This obedience stuff? I'll go do it. I want. We need to humble ourselves and continue to say to God, Oh, Father, we need you. I need you. Right now. Come running. Will we recognize for the first time or again our need for God, for ongoing intimate relationship with Him? Will you love Him that way and be loved by Him that way? And when that happens, will you find His love for others too, so help you God. Will you come in to lean into the thrown open arms of God? And in the silence, the loud silence of the parable that doesn't really end, that question still hangs 2,000 years later. Let's pray. Father in heaven, whether young or old, in age or in knowing you, help us, Father, to realize how much it is that we need you in deep, constant, close, honest, Humility and relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for your Son who humbled himself for just that purpose so that all who call on his name can have that forever open, honest intimate relationship with you. And thank you for impressing it upon our brother Luke to record this amazing story that your son once told 2,000 years ago. A story that very clearly lays out that whether young or old, whatever our background, whatever our struggle You deeply desire close, intimate relationship with us. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for wanting love with us even more than you want obedience. And thank you, Father, that for when that love just flows over us and when we're there, when we accept those thrown open arms of God, Obedience flows. Maybe, Father, one reason why we find it so hard to obey when we do is because we find it so hard to humble ourselves and to accept your offer of intimate love with you. Father, we love you. And I ask these things in Jesus' amazing name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand please for God's benediction, His good words. This from a Psalm of David, Psalm 70. I was reading that as part of my devotions this week. And I thought, hey, there's something in there. Sounds like the sermon. See what you think. David writes, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, God. May those who love your salvation always say, let God be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, West Bowles.